Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 237. We'll continue in the book of 1 Chronicles with a brief summary of chapters 24 through 27 and follow with some thoughts about how the chronicler imagines David as head of state. In the last episode, I mentioned how we would be introduced to David's new peace and prosperity time bureaucracy. Chapter 24 focuses on the, quote, orders of the sons of Aaron. In other words, the Kohanim, the priestly elite. There are 24 branches to this family tree, and the chronicler lists them all. There are 24 shifts in the sacred confines determined by lottery. Each shift spans half a month. Quote, These were their ministerings for their service to come into the house of Adonai, according to their rule by Aharon their father, as Adonai, God of Israel, had charged him. If you're keen and have some spare time, it might be fun to compare this list with the list of priestly families who went up from Babylonia as part of the return to Zion in Nehemiah chapters 10 and 12. Or you could bop over to Tractatanit in the Babylonian Talmud to read how these shifts worked in practice. I'm keen. This chapter concludes with a list of Levites whose work in the temple in shifts is also based on lottery. Chapter 25 identifies one group amongst the Levites who, quote, prophesied with lyres and lutes and cymbals. These musicians, too, are assigned shifts by lottery. Big bucks, no whammy, stop! Chapter 26 identifies the gatekeepers who also work in shifts by lottery, but the lottery doesn't determine when they work, but where. Each family is assigned a particular gate to watch, and the jurisdiction isn't limited to the gate itself, but as this quote indicates, quote, on the east, six Levites, on the north, four each day, four on the south each day, four at the storehouse, two and two, at the colonnade on the east, four, two on the road, and two at the colonnade. There is also a list of the, quote, treasurers of the house of Adonai, and those assigned, quote, over Israel for the external tasks, which really means cops and judges who police Israelite tribes on both sides of the Jordan River. Chapter 27 musters the army. The people are divided into 12 divisions, and thus, you guessed it, each division is responsible for one month, and each division is commanded by one of David's heroes. There are also appointed officers who represent each tribe, 12 in all. David also appoints officers of the treasury who account for, quote, treasuries in the open country, in the towns, in the villages, and in the citadels, as well as specific men who oversee the tilling of the soil, the vineyards, the stores of wine, the olive trees, and the sycamores that were on the coastal plain, the stores of oil, the cattle grazing in the Sharon, the cattle in the valleys, the camels, the she-asses, and the sheep. And then there are the courtiers, the men of David's inner circle, many of whom have graced this podcast in past episodes, like Achitophel, the king's advisor, Hushai the Archite, Yehoiada, and Eviatar. And lastly, Yoav, David's trusty chief of staff. So before we get into anything else, let's go to our regular Chronicle segment. You can go your own way. 
where the chronicler decides to diverge from the source material to simp for the status quo in the monarchy. This episode, we get the list of David's inner circle without any indication that any of these guys step out of line and mm, perhaps join in a rebellion against David. And I'm looking at you, Achitofel. But all's well that ends well, because Hushai saves the day and Achitofel ends up killing himself. So... <laughs> Indeed, this segment lays the groundwork for what I want to discuss in this episode, how the chronicler's representation of the monarchy diverges from what we read about kings in the Torah and the Tanakh. Harken back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17, where it clearly states that a king of Israel may not have too many horses, too many wives, or too much money, lest those material things lead him astray. He must also, quote, not cause the people to return to Egypt. God, that's weird. The king must also write for himself a Torah scroll for himself which he's to read from every day. Reading and rereading these laws will keep the king on the divine path and prevent the corrupting influence that comes with absolute power. Here we see a vision of the king who is a humbled public servant, an Israelite, who is limited in ways that regular Israelites are not, to keep him in check so he stays on message, which is drummed into his head on the daily. The covenant, the commandments, God's will, etc., etc. And the Torah commands that we have a king. Later in the book of Judges, the Tanakh tells us that kings are a necessity to fend off chaos, but a necessary evil, because kings be kinging and they'll soon forget the source of their power, which is God. And this plays out explicitly in 1 Samuel when the people demand Shmuel give them a king, quote, to rule us like all the nation. And Shmuel responds with, Ungrateful little bastard! Quote, and the thing was evil in Samuel's eyes when they said, give us a king to rule us. And he reluctantly gives them one, but not before railing against the institution of the monarchy, warning the people that, quote, your sons he will take and set for himself in his chariots and in his cavalry, and some will run before his chariots. He will set for himself captains of thousands and captains of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the implements of his chariots. And your daughters he will take as confectioners and cooks and bakers, and your best fields and your vineyards and your olive trees he will take and give to his servants. And your seed crops and your vineyards he will tithe and give to his eunuchs and to his servants. And your best male and female slaves and your cattle and your donkeys he will take and use for his tasks. Your flocks he will tithe, and as for you... You will become his slaves, and you will cry out on that day before your king, whom you chose for yourselves, and Adonai will not answer you on that day. (laughs) So which is it? Is the king a humble public servant, a paragon of virtue, a role model, or the necessary evil we empower to keep our enemies at bay? Or perhaps there's a kind of king that dwells somewhere in between those two extremes. A king described by the chronicler in chapter 27 who sits atop a vast bureaucracy, who tends to his treasury, vineyards, oil output, cattle, sheep, camels, or is that our treasury? Anyway, how connected to the people can this person be if he has a vast staff of people who tend to his every need? Kind of like when in 1992, sitting President George H.W. Bush was forced to admit he had no idea how much a gallon of milk cost during a debate with Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. I don't know what to say. 
But here's the thing. How much of a paragon of virtue could such a person be? How could I, a mere peasant, look to this king to be my role model when he lives a life so far removed from mine? I would be better served looking to a sycamore tree to provide moral guidance. You know, there's a lot a person could learn from a tree. Just ask Shel Silverstein, or on second thought, don't ask him. It's a piece of shit, you know? But the Chronicler has dedicated every chapter since he stopped providing genealogy lists to prop up this monarch and his monarchy. Every wart and wrinkle has been lovingly photoshopped out of every picture. Every anecdote has been scrubbed and polished to perfection. David can do no wrong, and even when he does, that one time when he conducts a census, the Chronicler blames Satan who, quote, incited David to take account of Israel. The source material in 2 Samuel says that God incited David, but the chronicler, not wanting to represent God as perverse, makes Satan, Satan, the agent. And the chronicler identifies Satan not as Ha-Satan, that is, the adversary, but as Satan, which gives him a more demonic feel. It's a name now. It's not just a function. In a sense... The chronicler is at cross-purpose with the Torah. Nowhere does the Torah say that monarchies are the ideal form of government. Indeed, Shmuel tells us outright that it's a terrible system and prone to abuse. But it'll have to do, especially when you're surrounded by monarchies of various sizes and effectiveness. The Torah slaps limits on the king because the Torah understands that the king of Israel is not like the king of France, Louis XIV, who said l'état c'est moi before parliament on April 13th, 1655. Allegedly. And I say allegedly, or more like Squirrely Dan says it, because there's nothing in the parliamentary record to support this contention, but I digress. The king of Israel is not supposed to be the state. The king of Israel is the blunt instrument that the social order deploys to achieve its goals. The fact that the king answers to the law and is even more accountable to it than regular people, and not the other way around, demonstrates this. So in a way, by dedicating so many chapters to highlighting this government structure, the chronicler is kind of telling us in a backhanded way that even David has to bend to certain realities. He may be presented as a wondrous, heroic figure, but he also has to appoint capable people to organize the defense of the homeland, balance the budget, ensure smooth functioning of the temples, securing the city gates, and other banal matters that we need capable people on top of to make sure that our society doesn't fall apart. David may be spotless with clean hands, but it cannot happen without the countless others who will get their hands dirty in governance on his behalf. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 238, when we conclude First Chronicles with chapters 28 and 29.